During the past week, headlines once again brought the dispute between the Ukraine and Russia into focus. A headline in CBC News read, Standoff between Russia and Ukraine over natural gas leaves Europe on edge. Well, Russia is Europe's main supplier of natural gas, but it is transported through the Ukraine, which obviously is not friendly to Russia following Russia's invasion and annexation of the Crimea. Well, on March the 1st, Russia turned off the gas. Now, according to CBC, the tense standoff between the Ukraine and Russia also left Europeans on the edge of their seats, asking what's next when it comes to their future supply of the highly lucrative resource. The Ukraine and Russia rely on each other to deliver gas to Europe. The Russians pump natural gas through the pipelines in Ukraine and deliver it to Europe. But the deep-seated distrust that has turned into hatred between the two countries is causing chaos. End quote. Well, Russia's energy grip on Europe has politicians throughout Europe scrambling. The article continued that Gazprom CEO Alexei Miller announced the company intended to withdraw from all contracts with Natsogas, including the all-important transit contracts supplying gas through Ukraine to Europe. But what has this to do with Bible prophecy? Well, what is interesting is the alliances that are being formed to solve the problem, which we'll come to into just a moment. But before we do, let's consider the picture the Bible paints at the time of the end. The scriptures speak in certain terms of a Russo-Germanic alliance at the time of the end. Ezekiel 38 clearly states who is in the confederacy that invades Israel. We read in verses 2 to 4, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back, and put hooks in thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Well, the word chief in this passage is the proper noun, and the RV interprets the passage the Prince of Rosh, and Rosh is the ancient name for Russia. The land of Mago cuts into Germany, as has been identified by numerous historians and geographers. The prophecy also mentions lands of both France and Germany when the tribes of Gomer are mentioned in verses 6 and 7. Gomer and all his bands, the house of Tagarmer of the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. Be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. Well, Josephus points out a few millennia ago that the tribes of Gomer settled in what we now term as France and Germany. So from this passage, we see an alliance between the Russians and the Germans, which will include the French too, along with other nations. We have been watching the predicted alliance continue to grow between Russia and Germany, and this alliance forming around joint projects that are looking to control the energy sector in Europe, namely the transportation of gas. The political turmoil between Russia and the Ukraine, plus the odd war every now and again, has prompted Russia and Europe to explore other solutions. Russia and Germany have made an alliance and are in the process of building two more pipelines between Russia and Germany under the Baltic Sea that would bypass Ukraine. The project is called Nord Stream 2 and would have the capacity to carry enough gas to cut Ukraine out of the equation. This project is not without its political issues, as the CBC pointed out. 
Anders Fogh Ramusen, the former Secretary General of NATO, who now works as a consultant for Ukraine, told CBC News that after years of trying to present itself as a reliable supplier to Europe, the mass slipped and its true face of Gazprom as a platform for Kremlin influence was exposed. Others are enthusiastic about Nord Stream 2, like the newly elected Austrian leader, Sebastian Kurz, who has indicated he'd like to strengthen ties with Russia. Germany, the largest player in Europe and, coincidentally, the endpoint of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, is steadfast in its commitment to the multi-billion dollar project. The issue has created another in a series of seemingly endless rifts in the EU. End quote. Well, this gas pipeline has seen Germany repeatedly oppose sanctions against Russia. It wants to maintain close relationships and keep the gas flowing. It is no surprise either, as Gerhard Schroeder, the last Chancellor of Germany prior to Angela Merkel, is currently chairman of the board of Nord Stream, whose majority shareholder is Gazprom, Russia's energy giant. Well, Gazprom is the sole shareholder in Nord Stream 2, although there are other investors. If the pipeline terminates in Germany, this also gives Germany leverage with the rest of Europe. It's also Britain's gas supply. Well, Europe is divided over Nord Stream 2, but the German powerhouse is likely to sway Europe in favor of it. However, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline will not be ready until 2019 at the earliest. The current European Union president, Donald Tusk, is not so enthusiastic about the project, as the EU Observer reported in December 2015, where he said, In my perspective, Nord Stream 2 does not help diversification, nor would it reduce our energy dependency. He said this at a press conference in Brussels on Friday, December the 18th, wrapping up a two-day summit which he chaired. He added on Friday, the European Commission has assessed that if Nord Stream 2 were to be constructed, it would increase Europe's dependence on one supplier and concentrate 80% of Russian gas imports on one route. It would also lead to a dominant position of Gazprom, a Russian state firm, on the German market by increasing its share to over 60%, end quote. Well, the Ukraine crisis has underscored the need for another route which bypasses the conflict area and has hastened the completion of the Nord Stream 2 line. In a journal, Commodities, Russian Energy Minister Alexander Novak stated, in my opinion, we should speed up the completion of the project to mitigate the risks we're having today, including the Nord Stream 2, which is the most economically viable. The CBC summed up the situation following the Ukrainian gas crisis by stating Gazprom's actions set off alarm bells for analysts like Thierry Bross, a senior research fellow at the Oxford Institute of Energy Studies, who told CBC News that although the move was brutal, it was not totally surprising. He said, we do not have the capacity to bring Russian gas to Europe in the quantities that we need without Ukraine. And the other effect of this crisis is what Europe is going to do vis-a-vis Nord Stream 2. If this contract was terminated, it means that technically Europe is short of 50 billion cubic meters of Russian gas overnight. We can't afford to terminate the contract, but if it happens, from where do you replace that supply? End quote. Well, it just so happens a solution is presenting itself in the Middle East. This week saw gas explode onto the headlines throughout the Middle East. 
Israel's National News reported this week, in Israel's biggest export deal to date, Egyptian company Dofinus Holdings has agreed to buy 64 billion cubic meters of Israeli natural gas for $15 billion U.S. during a 10-year period. The gas will be delivered to Egypt from Israel's Tamar gas field and the larger Leviathan gas field, which is expected to be operational in late 2019. The gas deal has been praised by both Israeli and Egyptian leaders. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu called the deal historic and said it would bring billions in it to Israel in taxes that it could use towards investing in education, health and welfare. The gas deal is also significant because it represents Israel's new position as a gas exporter, with additional export deals reportedly in the works with Greece, Turkey, Bulgaria, and Cyprus. It is also strategically important because it is the second deal that Israel has signed with an Arab neighbor, the first being with the Jordanian Electric Power Company in 2016. End quote. Well, the discovery of a major gas field off the coast of Israel is not new. It means that Israel will be self-sufficient when it comes to natural gas and that it has an overabundance which it can export. The closest market is Europe, as Bloomberg reported this week. The race to develop offshore energy resources in the eastern Mediterranean has accelerated since Israel discovered the Leviathan and Tamar gas fields. Egypt is developing the giant Zohar field with help from Italy. Together, the fines position the region as a potential gas-producing hub on Europe's doorstep. The problem has been getting the gas to market. Well, the journal Natural Gas News published a debate on March 7th examining the transportation of gas from the Middle East to Europe. According to the experts, there are three options for moving gas to Europe from Israel. First, a direct pipeline from Israel to Cyprus, onto Crete, and then Europe, called the East Med Gas Pipeline, or EMGP. Second, a pipeline from Israel to Turkey, and then on to Europe. And third, a pipeline from Israel to Egypt, where the gas is liquefied and transported to Europe, called LNG. Well, the debate considered each of the possible routes. First, the direct East Med Pipeline. And according to all the parties in the debate, this is not a viable solution. Gallia Lindenstrauss, a research fellow for the Institute of National Security Studies in Tel Aviv, summed up the issue. The substantial technical difficulties and the economic cost of building the East Med pipeline will continue to keep the option of Israeli gas export to Turkey and from there possibly to Europe open. Tim Borsema, Senior Research Scholar and Director of Global National Natural Gas Markets at the Center of Global Energy Policy at Columbia University in New York, stated, Despite government agreements, the construction of a major trunk line to ship natural gas through the Mediterranean seems challenging because of deep seas, high costs, and the uncertainties regarding territorial waters. Well, what about option number two, an Israeli-Turkey-Europe pipeline? In the debate, Daphne Sadiklar, executive director of the Istanbul summit, stated, The pipeline from Israel to Turkey, currently under negotiation, remains the most economically viable and realistic way of transporting natural gas from the eastern Mediterranean to Europe. Geopolitics are still an obstacle standing in the way of the pipeline to Turkey, however. The issue of Cyprus, whose territory and pipeline would have to, it would have to pass, and continuing tensions between Turkey and Israel still remain. 
Well, according to Theodora Sakaris, assistant professor of university policy and geopolitics at the University of Nicosia, this option is not possible, even if Turkey and Israel could put aside their differences. He says Turkey does not have the capacity to even transport the gas from its southern provinces to the EU border, let alone export it further afield. If the Leviathan gas reaches Turkey, it will be consumed in Turkey, he says. Well, this week also saw Turkish warships blockade drilling by Cyprus, as the academic journal The Conversation reported. The Turkish Navy blocking a drilling ship from exploring for gas off Cyprus ought to make international headlines, but it has gone almost unnoticed in a time of such conflict in the region. The ship has been marooned while diplomats from several European countries try to broker a solution between Turkey and Cyprus. So Turkey does not seem to be a viable or stable player to invest money in by Israel or Europe. This leaves the third option, an Israeli-Egyptian idea. The only viable option seems to be an Israeli-Egyptian pipeline which would terminate in Egypt, where the gas would be liquefied and shipped to Europe via tankers. Theodorus Sakaris concluded his thoughts, stating, The only viable option to reach the EU, and one would not without difficulty, is to reach the idle LNG terminals in Egypt that can accommodate the entire production capacity of Leviathan's Phase 2 and leave room for the liquefaction of some Cypriot gas from Aphrodite. End quote. This is what was announced this week between Israel and Egypt, and both sides hailing it as a victory of economic cooperation. Well, now, when we consider this whole situation in light of the Bible, when Russia comes down, it targets Egypt traveling through Israel on its way. We read in Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 to 42, At the time of the end, the king of the south shall push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and many ships, and shall enter into the countries, and shall overflow and pass over. He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. Well, the him in this prophecy is Turkey, who were pushed at by the British in 1917, and correspond to the Euphratean power that was dried up, as required by Revelation 16, verse 12. But note that the king of the north invades Turkey, and then overflows and passes over into the glorious land, which is Israel, and the land of Egypt, does not escape whereas Edom, Moab, and Ammon, the modern-day Jordan, do. This would imply a latter-day alliance between Israel, Egypt, and Jordan, along with the king of the south, or the Tarshish powers of Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 13, which is challenged and partially overrun by the king of the north. Now, the invasion of Egypt is also recorded in Isaiah 19, where we read, The Egyptians will I give into the hand of a cruel lord, and a fierce king shall rule over them, saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts. However, Egypt is eventually delivered when they cry to God, as we read in verse 20. They shall cry unto the Lord because of the oppressors, and he shall send them a savior and a great one, and he shall deliver them. The current gas deal tying Egypt and Israel together speaks to this alliance. According to Israel National News, the new gas deal has broad-reaching ramifications. 
We read, while the gas deal has met with skepticism within Egypt, it could pave the way towards normalizing commercial relationships between the two nations, which have very limited economical commerce despite their long-standing peace treaty, largely due to what has essentially been in the past, a unanimous boycott of Israel by Egyptians, with a tacit government acquiescence. Meanwhile, the deal is a sign that diplomatic relationships between Israel and Egypt have never been better. Egypt was the first Arab country to make a peace with Israel in 1979, but for many years the relationship was considered to be a cold peace. Today, Israel and Egypt are cooperating on a range of fields, including Israel's military assistance against Islamic fighters in the Sinai Peninsula. So the cooperation over the commercialization of gas production in the Middle East is cementing the peace between Israel and Egypt with some monetary mortar. But back in Russia, oil and gas are having a more volatile effect. The Russian economy is like an oil and gas junkie. As writer John Detrix stated in this past week in the business journal Quartz, the Russian economy is far from strong. It remains reliant on its oil and gas industry, and its fiscal prudence partly reflects the potential for shocks to that market. It has not been able to diversify and Putin's investment in the military requires higher oil and gas prices. If Israel and Egypt are capable of mounting a viable alternative to Gazprom, Russia's grip on Europe will be threatened. So while prosperity through gas may bring peace to Israel and its neighbors, it will jointly act as an impetus to draw Russia down to protect its economy and its power position on the continent and over the world. We read in Ezekiel chapter 38 verse 4 that I will turn thee back and put hooks in thy jaws, and will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Specifically, what these hooks are, we do not know. But we do know a portion of the evil plan is an aggressive economic offensive upon an otherwise peaceful state of affairs. Because we continue to read in Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 10 to 12, Thus saith the Lord God, it shall come to pass, at the same time, things shall come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages, I will go up to them that are rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil, and to take a prey, and to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, and upon a people that are gathered out of the nations, and have gotten cattle and goods, and that dwell in the midst of the land. So in the news this week, we see seeds of this plot germinating. The prospect of monetarizing gas, bringing peace to the Middle East, while at the same time creating competition for Russia and Germany, sowing seeds of future rivalry. So when we see the global struggle for power continuing on both military and economic levels, we are encouraged that we are living in the time of the end, and the long-looked-for stealthy advent of the Lord Jesus Christ is at the door. As the nations prepare themselves, we too must prepare ourselves. We need to open our hearts to the Lord and let him into our lives. As we read in Revelation 3 verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. We need to be opening our minds and our hearts to him now, so that when he returns, we will recognize him. And more importantly, he will recognize us. 
We read in Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 36, Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning. And ye yourselves, like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. For the Bible in the news, this has been Jonathan Bowen joining you.